1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 1 has been talking about God's word as incorruptible, um, enduring, powerful. And because of that, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Well, isn't it great if you've been to a food market recently? One of my favorite things on earth is to go to a food market, and especially when they've got tasters there. Not great. And you, you've, got, you've got sweet stuff, and then you've got savories, and then you've got sauces, and you can dip into things. I realized the other day in the Cardiff food market that my, I'm level two spice ability. And it went from one to six or seven. And I think Jack was taking six, and he was like, this is not very hot. I was like, a two going. Can't, can't taste anymore. But as you taste that food you, from all around the world, you start to get insights into people. You literally taste people's cultures, don't you, uh, from different parts of this world. Well, in the closing pages of Scripture, we are presented with a picture of the end of the ages, the culmination of history, the point of, uh, for all of God's people, the high point for each one of us. And in Revelation 21 and 22, we hear of a new heavens and a new earth where Christians will dwell with Christ forever. And this is what we read, this remarkable picture in Revelation 21, verse 2. John, who's on the Isle of Patmos, this apostle, he says, I saw the holy city. He sees this vision. He saw it. This holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned 
for her husband. It's this moment at last he sees heaven meets earth in all of its fullness and all of its climax. The eternal man of heaven has come to be at last to live with his redeemed bride on earth, the church. And together, the groom and the bride, they will set up their new home in this new Eden where all is glorious and bright. Heaven will one day fully meet earth. Christ will be fully and finally united with his people. But present-day church is a taster of that coming day. It's a pointer, a foretaste of a new culture where the beauties of heaven are experienced in just tiny taster form here on earth whenever we gather in this way. Now, it might feel to us like a light touch of a feather, but our church gatherings, whenever we meet, if we have eyes to see, are a touch of glory. As we enjoy Christ together, as we sing his praises, as we commune together in the service and afterwards the service, after the service, and encourage one another, and stir each other up in the faith, it's a brief glimpse behind the clouds. It's a taster pot of what is to come. We experience in a moment for one hour on a Sunday morning and in an evening, a new culture, the final resting place of God's people. Some of you have read Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, and if you have, you'll remember that the fate of civilization rests on the destruction of one ring, which is on the, on the finger of a hobbit, or not on the finger of a hobbit, or at least it shouldn't be. Uh, and this Frodo, this hobbit, he's making his way to the Mount of Doom and is to save civilization. He's got to throw this ring into the mountain. Powerful evil forces are working to stop him in his quest, but he longs for the day when evil will be stopped and peace will reign in a new and glorious land. And one night he has a dream about this. And Tolkien writes this about his dream. The gray rain curtain of this world is pulled back and all turns to silver glass. And then you see it, white shores, and beyond them, a far green country under a swift sunrise. Frodo gets this dreamy glimpse of his future once the ring is destroyed. Well, that is what the church is in one sense. Whenever we meet together, it's a slightly blurred glimpse of what is soon to come in solid gold reality. Maybe that reality has been lost on us recently. Church has lost its thrill. Christian work has become a chore. We see the problems, we see the flaws and the differences rather than the glory of what we actually are enjoying right now. We have to go to Specsavers, don't we, every year, and we have to make that appointment, and we go in and they say, well, your vision is a little bit blurred, and I can correct that. If you put on these glasses, I shouldn't have advertised Specsavers, sorry. Just, re just realize what I did there. 
other good opticians are available. Um, but you go in and every year you get that correction, don't you? Go, you're not seeing things right. You need an adjustment in your vision. And that's what sermons are meant to be. They're meant to be an adjustment, a refocusing on who we really are in Christ. And that's what this is meant to be this morning, where we, we put on new glasses that enable us to sharply, more sharply focus on what we're about, actually. What is church all about? Why are we here this morning? Well, many pictures are given in Scripture about what the church is and how it's to function. And we read earlier from 1 Peter 2, didn't we, where the church is viewed as a heavenly temple here on earth, the place where God lives. He lives among his people. And what do we see in 1 Peter 2? A royal priesthood dressed in fine and spotless clothes of Christ's righteousness. And there's this charge in, in this chapter where as priests we mediate God's authoritative proclamation to a fallen world. We are announcing here this morning that God reigns in Christ, that he rules. And whenever we meet together in this way, that is what we are proclaiming. That is why we are here, even if we don't take part in, in some way, we are proclaiming to the world, God rules. Christ is king. The idea that God's gathered people stand out as representatives of heaven on earth. It's summarized like this in verse 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're coming through Llanda from the, um, well, the stadium, Cardiff Stadium sign. As you come into Llanda, there's this sign, welcome to Llanda, a city within a city. And it's an interesting little phrase, isn't it? And that's what Rome is in Italy, isn't it? It's a, it's a, it's a nation within a nation. And that's what God is saying to us this morning, that as a gathered congregation, we are a city within a city, a culture within a culture. We're a nation within a nation. He says here, we are a holy nation who moves in and among all the nations of the world, representing a new culture, the culture of Christ, the kingdom of heaven. We are saying to the people around us, yes, I am the same, but I don't belong to your culture. I belong to a new one, a heavenly one. And here we do in church what we will one day do in heaven. Living under the reign of our God. Bowing before our Lord Christ. Following his leadership. Communing back and forth with him as we pray to him and he speaks to us through his word. We get a glimpse into the communion and the fellowship that we will eternally enjoy with the Lord Jesus. And so here on earth, we are ambassadors, and the church is our embassy. I remember visiting a distant country many years ago, and I was feeling quite vulnerable, quite lonely. 
I was far from home, struggling to understand the cultures, struggling to even eat the food. And um, I was in the back of this Jeep on the way to the conference where, where we were preaching, and we passed the British consulate. Um, outside, the Union Jack was flying, and uh, British soldiers were standing at the gates. And as I looked at it, it struck me that there was little Britain within a different culture, a completely different nation. People had been sent there from our country to live and work and represent uh, the United Kingdom. Inside, they would be speaking English. They'd be eating British food. And from there, the ambassador would pass on the messages of the United Kingdom without deviation to the country that he was in. And I could go there if I was in trouble in this nation. I could find rest there. I could find safety and refuge if there was trouble. And there, as I would walk in through the gates, I would enter into a new culture. My own culture, the culture of the United Kingdom. And even though I was thousands of miles from home, there was the United Kingdom in miniature in a far-off far off land. This is the idea scripture has concerning the church. We are priests, ambassadors, representing God here on earth, passing on his message, living the culture of heaven in the middle of what is now to us the foreign country of earth. We are strangers here. We are pilgrims making our way home through a foreign land making our way back to be with our Lord. And so 1 Peter 2 says we are all living stones, being built up into a spiritual house. We are an embassy of heaven on earth where righteousness dwells, where Christ is the chief cornerstone. The British embassies around the world are where our nation touches down in miniature, in order to represent our queen. And this is the understanding scripture has of each local church. It's as if the corner of heaven has just touched down on planet earth. And you see through that corner that glimpse of the great picture of what is to come. Here God is with his people. Here we shine like stars reflecting out the glory of Christ as a city set on a hill whose light cannot be hid. Now, it's so easy, isn't it, to get bogged down in church life and the smaller picture and the nitty-gritty of things we must and mustn't do in, in church and activities that we have to, to put on. And it's easy to get bogged down on all that, but this is a picture which calls us to see the bigger picture to see what this is all about. That whatever we do, where, whoever we speak to after the service, whatever we do in, the, in, in this week, we are meant to say heaven is touching earth in this hour, in this conversation. The one I'm speaking to is meant to see Christ, meant to see a touch of glory. Here in the church, the corner of heaven touches down on our planet. There's a second way we see the church as a touch of heaven too. And it's in Christ's proclamation 
when he arrived here on earth. We've been hearing it in our series on Mark's gospel. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it says this, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Ancient scriptures had promised that God would one day return to earth to rule and reign over the planet that he had made. That here there would be a people who live in his ways without hints of disobedience to the king. And in light of all those ancient promises, Christ arrives on earth and proclaims that these scriptures are being fulfilled before their very eyes. That God's rule has come in him. God has come to reign and rule in Christ. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand in me. And we know, don't we, that there is a future day when all of those ancient promises will be finally and fully completed. When there will be no hints of disobedience. When there will be a perfection of living under the reign of Christ. It's a coming day. In the new heavens, righteousness will dwell. All evils will disperse forever. All tears will be wiped away and Christ shall reign on the throne and all the nations will be gathered from every tribe and tongue and people and nation will together. We will bow before the throne and say, holy, holy, holy. But that hope of the kingdom is not just future because it depends not upon the clock, but upon Christ. Not about time so much as about who we are in Jesus. So that wherever Christ reigns, there we discover the new creation. That old things, they've passed away. That everything has become new. So it's in the people of God and in the church as a whole where people have turned in repentance to Christ. Where we've been forgiven at the cross and made righteous in his resurrection. It is here that the new creation, the kingdom of heaven, is already being seen. Here in the church, Christ rules with equity. Here it is where the power of his resurrection is being seen. Where the kingdom of heaven being at hand, it's already a concrete reality for us. It's what we enjoy this morning. So as we preach Christ crucified, we are proclaiming this, that future fulfilled kingdom of heaven is already being seen here today in the church of Christ. As we live by faith in the Lord Jesus, as we seek to submit all our ways to his word, both individually and collectively, we are again proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here among us, for Christ is here, for here Christ rules. And so we see this glimpse of heaven again in the Lord Jesus Christ as he meets with us and we meet with him. And this connects us to the third indication of the church being heaven on earth. And it's this wonderful truth that here we fulfill Christ's prayer, that God's will would be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. We live in a world that is, of course, run by its own ideals and philosophies. Without Christ breaking through all of those ideas and ideals, those philosophies and those religions, we seek to do our own will on earth. What do I want to do? It's King me. Or we seek to do the will of others who put pressure on us to convince us of their morals and to live in their way. They are king over us. So without Christ, we believe we rule our own lives. That we determine the best direction for us. That we know what is best for ourselves. This is an ancient misunderstanding of our own abilities to govern ourselves. As the 15th century Italian poet Pietro Aretino, he wrote, I am indeed a king because I know how to rule myself. Well, the world is filled with the horrors and the mess and the confusion that we are presently experiencing because of that very foolish belief that we are king, that we can rule ourselves. But whenever God brings us to himself in Christ, we humbly bow down and submit ourselves to him as the only one who truly knows what is best for us. So he comes in to rule. Becoming a Christian is saying, I confess Jesus is Lord. He rules over me now. I'm no longer king. He knows what is best. And so obedience to him, it's not just a submission to God but it's an entering into the will of the one who knows the meaning and the purpose of my life. It's a breaking through into the will of God and a breaking out of my own sovereign will and plans. We have a Christ who knows the end from the beginning, one who knows all things, the one who sees all things, the one who knows what is best for you. And so as God's word is preached on Sunday, the king's commands and instructions come to us again and say, I know, I know. Come and submit, because in submission there is life, and there is light, and there is joy. You see, obedience to Christ is not this, oh, I must obey him, even though I don't think it's right. It's a submission to the one who knows how to give us the life that we were always meant to live underneath the smile of God. And as we hear God's word preached, it's God saying, I know what is best. Come and follow me. And as we submit all of our ways and works as a church to the word of God, we're actively saying God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. And in that way, it reveals again a touch of heaven on earth where righteousness is beginning to dwell on earth in all of its fullness, God's heavenly will is being visibly done among us, even this morning. So obedience is not just about who we are and and how we are to live and reveal our faith. It's about proclaiming Christ as king in 2022 Cardiff. It's about proclaiming what heaven will be like 
one glorious day. When we live in disobedience, we're saying, I want to show you hell. But when we live in obedience, we're saying, I want to show you heaven and what it will be like on that day when Christ returns. When we obey him, it's, it's revealing Christ's submission to his Father. It's revealing the glorified saint's present submission to Christ in heaven. The church is revealing a heavenly spirit right now. It's here too, fourthly, that as a church, we store up our present possessions in that, for that future glory. How does Christ put it? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust uh, destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's not a massive call upon our lives. Everything about our life and peer pressure and advertising, it calls us to get bigger and better and more stuff here on earth. It's all about this life. YOLO, isn't it? You only live once. So get as much as you can now and store up for now. Store up your present treasure for retirement. Invest wisely so you can be rich when you're older. Save now to get bigger possessions and better pleasures and more pastimes. We tell people when they're 20 years old, start investing in your pension now so you can build up a nice healthy pot so when you retire, you can live comfortably. There's wisdom in all of that, isn't there? There is wisdom, but it's too small a vision. It's too small a vision. It's too short-term an investment. That's what Christ is saying. He's not saying don't have pensions, don't have pleasures, don't have pastimes, enjoy nothing about this world because you're living for another world. No, he's saying think longer term, think bigger, think better, have a grander vision and just get in a, a better car or, or nicer pair of glasses or whatever it is. Store up your treasure in heaven. Show heaven on earth by the manner of your lifestyle and how you use your pastimes and pleasures and monies and, and uh, houses. Show heaven on earth by storing up your treasure now there. How do we do that? Well, we do it when we purposefully live a simpler and poorer life than we possibly could from our income. Where we use our monies to fund gospel work in local church gospel mission as well as on distant mission fields. We store up treasure when we support the poor, when we give aid to those in need, when we help the widows in their distress, when we pay gospel workers. We do it when we decide at times to switch off our personal entertainments and, and not enjoy our hobbies and our relaxations in order to spend time with others, to encourage them in the words, or to study God's word, or to pray, or to witness, or to encourage someone, or to be hospitable, or to love our families. We, we're storing up treasure in heaven. We do it when we refuse to spend time anxiously fretting over our lives and instead we trust in the one who cares for every sparrow and clothes every lily. We say, 
in difficult circumstances, I rest in him. The world looks at the church doing those things and they wonder, what is going on? Why don't you live in our way? Where is your money going? What do you do with your time? Why are you so peaceful under such circumstances? Where, where is it all gone? Why are you wasting your life? And you're like, oh, living in heaven. I've stored it up there. And again, the world in that moment gets a glimpse of glory. It gets a, a tiny insight into heaven just because you diverted some money that way and some time that way and some trust that way. For when we live for this world, then what the world gets is just another glimpse of the importance of this world, that its joys and its pleasures are preeminent. And there's nothing else after this life. But when we deliberately store up treasure in heaven, there they are seeing that there's something more important, more wonderful than just this life. Heaven touches earth as we store up treasure in heaven. And then fifthly and lastly, and this might be a strange point to finish on, but it's important nonetheless, that heaven is seen on earth when the church carries out church discipline, which you might think is opposite to what is happening in heaven. But this is what Jesus says over in Matthew chapter 18, as he explains the process of church discipline for those who are unrepentant, maybe doctrinally or morally. In Matthew 18, he says, the person is spoken to individually, then the two or three witnesses, and then brought before the church. And if there's no repentance along the way, it keeps going through the process. And it's in this context of urging a sinner back to obedient lifestyles that Jesus says the often misquoted verse, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. We often use it for church gatherings. Jesus says that's when the church carries out church discipline. And then he says something fascinating. He says this, concerning the church's ruling on this matter, assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I could put it this way. Heaven is seen on earth, not just by the church's obedience, not just by the church's storing up treasures in heaven, and not just by our faithfulness to gospel witness, but heaven even touches earth when we fail and fall and when we deal with it biblically. Even as the humble and prayerful decision is made to discipline someone or to bring back a repentant sinner to the fold, there, says Jesus, heaven meets earth and earth meets heaven. For there, the will of God is done on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever is bound on earth, bound in heaven. Whatever is loosed in heaven is loosed on earth. In all of these ways, both by our strengths and our weaknesses, by our flaws and our failings, as well as our obedience and our faith, as we deal with things under the reign and rule of Christ, we discover this remarkable picture. The local church is no ordinary institution. It's no mediocre embassy 
and it's certainly no run-of-the-mill religious organization. Here, the Lord of Lords is being seen. He's being worshipped and proclaimed. Here, the King of all kings reigns on earth. Here, heaven touches earth. And so may we, even through these small glimpses, perceive this glory, taste this future culture, and experience heaven itself each time we meet together and say, I'm not just coming out of rote because there's nothing better to do, but I want to see heaven. I want to taste it. I want to get a glimpse of it. I want my eyes to be refocused to see Christ for who he really is. If we have that, if we see that, there will be no such thing as an ordinary church meeting. But instead, we will begin to grasp how extraordinary are the ordinary church meetings. For here Christ is seen, his word is spoken, and we commune with our God in heaven. And that together we would strive to show this future glory to present-day Gabalva and Cardiff and to say, you want to see heaven? Come among us. Come and see Christ reign. Come and hear him speak. This is our longing, isn't it? That people might see, that we might see, that Cardiff might see, that this church and that every local church, it's heaven on earth whenever we meet.